chapter 1, verse 9. It says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. We have, over the last couple of weeks, talked about God wanting more from you because He wants more for you. And our efforts towards Him are important. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. But we've also said at the same time that what God wants from you and what He wants for you more than anything else, both questions can be answered with one word. He wants fellowship. He wants it from you and He wants it for you. Now, last week we talked about fellowship with God as being the ultimate why. And when I say why, W-H, you know, next to last letter of the alphabet, why, why, the ultimate why, why this, why that. And there's so many things that we know are, when we, we sing about it, you know, why are you mindful of me? That's out of the Psalms, right? Psalm 8. What is man that thou art mindful of him, the son of man that you visit him? You crowned him with glory and honor, made him a little bit lower than yourself, put him over all the works of your hands. And, and the psalmist is realizing this, and, and he's, he's understanding, you know, his physical stature in light of the size of God's creation. And he's asking that question, what is it about us? Again, the only way you'll ever understand um, why God visits us, why God loves us the way He loves us is within the context of fellowship. It's the ultimate why. And, and anything that we do for God and attempt for God and go about you know, with God as the ultimate goal or end of it, apart from fellowship, is not pleasing to Him. It's not pleasing to Him. And so we talked about fellowship then providing the context for our lives um, what is life really all about? What is life meant to be? What is the meaning of life? I know this, and I know when the Lord began to share with me some of these broader, uh, far or further reaching, um, far or <laughs> further reaching uh, truths as it relates to fellowship, and I'm like, Lord, you know, okay, show it to me in Scripture, and, and praise God, it's it's right there, but you can. You can answer, obviously it would need some explanation, but you can give an effective answer to the biggest question. What, you know, why are we here? What is life all about? What is the meaning of life? You can answer all those really big questions with one word, fellowship. Fellowship with God, fellowship with other people that God created. And, and I, I know that you know, it's easy for us to get focused on one subject, one teaching one doctrine, if you will, in the scriptures and, and emphasize that and, and breathe on the, on the fire of that. And, and, and if we're not careful, then we may even have a tendency to exaggerate the importance of something. But when it comes to this subject of fellowship, um, it provides the ultimate context for everything. I and mean, why does he love us? Why why did He do for us what He's done for us? Why did He give to us what He gave to us? You realize that He's forgiven you and me of our sins for His sake. It wasn't just what was in it for us or what it means to us or what it could do for us or how it could help us or what benefit was in it for us. And that's how we, I think, 
come short of these things because we, we are short-sighted in our understanding of what it is that Father is really up to. Jesus said it this way in what I believe is the ultimate chapter on fellowship, John chapter 17 and verse 3. He said, this is eternal life, praying to His Father. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Now, this word know is important because in the Greek language there are different original words that are often translated into our word K-N-O-W in the same way that there are different Greek words with, that carry different meanings translated into our word L-O-V-E, love. And in this particular original word translated into our English word know, know you, it's referring to an experiential knowledge. And we see the Hebrew version of this word in the Old Testament is used of um, sexual intimacy between a man and a woman where it talks about um, so-and-so knew his wife and she conceived and brought forth a child. So it's speaking of an uh, experiential knowledge, not just knowing about something or um, you know, learning from, learning about, but learning of would be this level. But we also see, and the Weiss translation really, I think, breaks this down best for us. What it would literally read is that they might be having an experiential knowledge of you. And the idea here is the tense in the Greek is speaking of a perpetual presence. Uh, I'm sorry, a perpetual present tense. Speaking of something that is ongoing. Not just that you would have had the experience in the past or perhaps will have the experience again in the future. But Jesus says it's this ongoing, unending, experiential knowledge, uh, intimacy, if you will, with God the Father. He says this is eternal life. And so this ongoing experiential knowledge of the Father and Jesus Christ, this, of course, is synonymous, meaning the same as... uh, this word fellowship. As a matter of fact, we, we could say one definition of fellowship is ongoing, unending experiential knowledge of God the Father. And so when Jesus says this is eternal life, let's put that, let's kind of break that down and put that in John 17, 3. This is eternal life, Jesus praying to the Father, that they may have ongoing, um, it says interrupted, it should say uninterrupted fellowship with you, Father, and with your son Jesus, whom you have sent. So it's ongoing, uninterrupted fellowship with the Father. And so this is what he says, this is eternal life. This is eternal life. Now, I don't, I don't know if, if you've ever said this, but perhaps you have, or perhaps you've heard someone else say it. And let me try to set the scene for you. Um, you win an all-expense-paid vacation to a tropical island through your work. And you're there um, with a glass of frosted lemonade in your hand, lying in a hammock between two palm trees, looking at the sunset over the Caribbean. And you might have a tendency to say something like this, now this is the life, right? In other words, when we find ourselves, you know, at a really high point in life where things around us are really good, where we're maybe enjoying something special, 
that's uh, out of the, the normal routine of, of our daily lives, we, we may say, now this is the life. Yes, no, am I out on a limb? Okay, now this is the life, right? We, we're saying all that other stuff, right, is, is just kind of noise. But this is the life because we're, we're in a place of joy, we're in a place of peace, we're in a place of contentment, we're in a place of satisfaction, we're in a place of beauty, we're, we're in a place of rest, we're, we're in a place of, of no stress. We're in a, all of these things that would be somehow associated with you and I saying in a physical way, okay, this is the life, this is the life, right? And so I, I think that would, at least to some extent, carry over to what Jesus is communicating here, but in a spiritual sense, right? This is the life. There's so many things that we think, okay, now this is the life. Now this is like, no, no, Jesus is saying, no, not only is this the life, this is eternal life, right? To have ongoing, ex- see, one of the things that, that, that Satan has um, succeeded in doing uh, and, and unfortunately, it's, it's influenced by what comes forth from pulpits, from, from pastors and preachers all, all around the, this nation, and for that matter, all around the world, is that, is that somehow we, we have separated what God wants from us. We've, we've allowed the enemy to separate what he wants from us, you know, from what he wants for us. That, those, those things seem somehow disconnected. And, and so, so many times what we hear from from pulpits is, you know, somebody wagging their finger telling you what God wants from you and what you're not doing and you're not doing enough and you're not obeying enough, you're not giving enough, you're not serving enough and, and God wants more from you and you better give it to him because there's no telling what he might do to you if you don't. And, and, and somehow what he wants from us and what he wants for us have become disconnected. And, 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 and so when it comes around to what God wants for us, you know, I think the average Christian would be, well, God wants for us to go to heaven when we die. But he also wants for us to be miserable and bored between now and then. Right? Well, I mean, think about it. I, you know, I remember as a, as a uh, uh, you know, 12, 13, 14-year-old, you know, hearing very frequently that Jesus was coming back any day. I'm not proud of this, but I ask him, please don't come back till I get my driver's license. You know. And, you know, it's like, who wants to go to heaven, you know, and... and, and People were reluctant to raise their hands, and um, and and the pastor like later he says, "Why didn't you raise your hand?" He said, "Well, I thought you might be getting up a load to go right now." So notice now the idea is, yeah, we want to go to heaven, but after we've lived a long, full life and done everything we want to do, you know, um, because we don't view ongoing, un- uninterrupted, um, uh, experiential knowledge of God as being the life. Right? Are you with me? There's a lot of people doing a lot of things tonight other than coming to church to worship Jesus and learn about Him because they don't view this as the life, right? They view what, whatever else they've got going on in their lives as the life, okay? And Jesus says, no, this is not only the life, this is eternal life. In other words, what is He saying? Think about it. He's saying that, you know, 10,000 years from now, we will be enjoying fellowship with the Father, uninterrupted, ongoing, experiential knowledge of Him. Now, I don't, I don't want to go too far down this road, but, but look at how people in this country put sports heroes, music heroes, um, actors and actresses, singers and songwriters, how they put them on a pedestal, right? And, and they view 
you know, just being in, the, in those people's presence as like one of the greatest things they could ever aspire to on planet Earth. And, and we see this, and we, we see the, the fans. The fan, by the way, is short for fanatic, right? We see the, the fans um, fill stadiums. And I, I'm not, listen, I'm not railing against this. I'm just, I'm just trying to show you um, how I think the enemy has confused and deceived so many of God's people into thinking that somehow um, ongoing, uninterrupted, experiential knowledge of God is somehow not a good thing, is somehow not um, the life and where it's at. That's another way we say it. I mean, that's where it's at right there. That's where it's at. Let me tell you where it's at. It's, it's at this point of fellowship with the Father, the same fellowship that Jesus enjoys with him. Amen. Now, um, let me, I haven't said this in a week or two. Fellowship with God's your number one purpose. And all other purposes are not only secondary, they are dependent upon your fellowship with God. And that's just another way of saying fellowship with God is the ultimate context for what we see in the Scriptures as far as God's heart for us, His desire for us, what He's done for us, what He's given to us. It can all be traced back to His desire to have fellowship with us. So we see then that God is an eternal community dwelling in absolute communion. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And they created you and me in their likeness and in their image so that we could have fellowship with them. Now this is further down in my notes and and maybe we'll get to it there in in a minute and look at some of the verses that are connected with it. But let me just go ahead and, and say this. When I and I'm, I'm, I guess, among other things, I'm trying to show you what exactly the Holy Spirit is saying to us when He says fellowship is the ultimate why, or fellowship is the context that we need. What is context again? Remember, context is everything you need to know to make sense of something. Context is everything you need to know to make sense of something. And you will never make sense of life. You will never make sense of everything that God has said to you. You'll never make sense of everything God has done for you. You'll never make sense of everything God has given to you unless you understand it within the context of His desire to have fellowship with you. You'll always be saying, no, that's not right. That's, we gotta, that can't mean that. Um, you know, how about this one? It's His good pleasure to give you His kingdom. Man, the Lord said something to me, and it, I pray that it lands on your heart, at least somewhere near to the way it landed on my heart. But I, I mean, I am sitting in a meeting, and hey man, it wasn't critically important stuff to me, and I'm fellowshipping with Jesus while I'm sitting there, and I'm talking to him about different things. And this is what he, this, he, just, he just drops this into my spirit. Are you ready? He says, the most important word in the prayer that I taught my people to pray is the first word. Anybody know what the first word is? Our. See, no, no, Father's more important. Kingdom's more important. Hallowed be thy name is more important. No, no, see, our, such a little word, but when Jesus taught us to pray, He didn't say pray to God. He didn't say pray to my Father. 
He said, pray to our Father. What is the word our? The word our is a fellowship word. It it provides the context for everything Jesus taught us in that prayer. If you miss the our part, O-U-R, not H-O-U-R, pray for our, okay? Our, like, like Jesus' daddy and my daddy are the same daddy. Amen. Our Father. See, that three-letter word, O-U-R, it set the tone. It provides the context. See, we leave that part out. We overlook that part. We don't, we don't lean into and embrace that part. It skews the context. For In other words, we're missing the most important piece that enables us to make sense of everything that Jesus said after that. That's what context does. Context. What comes before, what comes after. What came before? Eternal community and absolute communion. What comes after? You married to the Son and and having a, a wedding reception. Marriage supper of the Lamb. And listen to me, please. Not that we any of us in here mind serving, but you're not waiting tables at the marriage supper of the Lamb. You are the guest of honor. You are the bride. You are the bride at the marriage supper of the Lamb. So if it began with an eternal community existing in absolute communion and it ends with you and me being, watch this now, me and you being in Jesus, Jesus in the Father and the Holy Spirit in us, that's basically where the story ends, right? as far as what we know about it, okay, then that, that provides the context for our lives here on this planet. Oh, I so desperately want you to see this and get this. Now, <clears throat> we've talked about fellowship in terms of positional and functional oneness. And by positional, that, that oneness, you, you positioned as one with God, it comes through salvation. It comes by faith and receiving God's gift of salvation and the new birth and the blood covenant. But a call to fellowship is a call to positional and functional oneness with God. And so we said that fellowship among the members, some of this is reviewed from a few weeks back, fellowship among the members of the Godhead enable Father, Son, and Spirit to function as one. The Bible's very clear, the Lord our God is one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That was one of the reasons some of the um, early religious leaders just freaked out when Jesus said that he was God's son because in in their limited understanding there was just God there was no God the Father God the Son and God the Holy Spirit although we we see them in the scriptures but they were blinded to that like they were to so many other things so fellowship among the members of the Godhead enable Father Son and Spirit to function as one marriage between a man and a woman makes them one and provides the basis for them to function as one So positional oneness would be uh, what occurs when a man and a woman enter into a marriage covenant before God. 
functional oneness is all the learning and growing and developing that, that takes place after that. So positional oneness provides the basis and the foundation for the functional oneness. But just because you have a marriage license and have stood before a, a, a pastor doesn't mean that you and your spouse are functioning as one. The other example we see in Scripture is many different members joined together in one body enable the body to function as one. Now, here, here are some other things. And I... Um, I get so excited about all this and, and I'm so eager to come and, and share it with you and there's others that are watching online that are communicating with me and it's, it's, it's it, as simple as I know how to say it is I want to help you. Are you. You understand what I mean by that? I, I'm a little bit emotional today. It's been an, man, if y'all only knew, it's been an emotional day for me, okay? And God is good. And he's been right there with me ever Hard thing I've had to do today. He's been right there with me, helping me and giving me the words to say and 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 how to handle it and and, and all the other stuff. But I'm not I'm not here to entertain you. I'm not here to tickle your ears or to wow you. Or it's like, wow, I've never heard that before. Wow, I've never heard that before. Wow, I've never heard anybody put it that. No, there's no. I'm here to help you, right? I, I I'm telling you, this is the heart of our Father. This is the heart of our Father. It's, see, we, we put so much emphasis in, you know, what matters to so many people is what they've done in the past and what God's forgiven them for and now what they're trying to forgive themselves for. Notice the father in Luke, the 15th chapter. He didn't even ask that young, he didn't even ask his youngest son, where'd all that money go, boy? None of that mattered. What mattered to him? fellowship. His son was restored to him. It's time to celebrate. He is back under my roof. See, we try to understand that from a, it's like, well, you know, I don't know if he should have given him all that because, you know, what if he went and hocked it? You know, what if, what if, you know, see, the world takes a wait and see. You know, Daniel was singing about it a minute ago, right? You were there, you believed in me, everybody else was just waiting for me to fall. Your heavenly father's not waiting for you to fall. He's not expecting you to fall. What, what would you think about someone who, who took a spouse, married a spouse, I mean, stood before God, said the vow, said I do, because they wanted somebody they could control, somebody they could boss around, somebody that they could get to cater to their every whim, somebody that they could get to serve them, somebody that they could get to meet every need that they have. Would you not agree with me that somebody has the wrong attitude about marriage? You only take a spouse so you'll have somebody to control somebody to be the boss of remember though now remember why why do we have this thing called marriage even hardwired into us you go only back to the garden when god created the first human 
Male and female created he them. Wasn't good for Adam to be alone. He fell into a sleep, a deep sleep, and God took everything out of him that was female. Now you've got male and female in two distinct bodies, two distinct containers. And then God says, now, let's come back together and be one. Right? So marriage between a man and a woman is when we're made one once again, made one once again with the one we came from. Now, Paul gets into this when he's talking about the, the, the relationship between a man and a woman. And, and he, I can almost hear the Holy Spirit kind of tapping him on the shoulder a minute because he's getting all this about how, uh, you know, woman was taken from man. But then it's like the Holy Spirit says, <clears throat> but then every man who was ever born on planet Earth came from a woman. Right? Am I right about it? So woman was taken from man, then man and woman come together, and now male and female, you've got men and you've got men with wombs. You've got men and you've got womb men. Okay, so when we say men, not just talking about male gender here. Are you still with me? So, but let's go, let's take it one click further back. Who did Adam come from? He came forth from God. He was in God. God formed Adam from the dust of the ground and then took him under the chin and poured the, the, the life and nature that was in him, the zoe, the life and nature that was in God, he poured it into Adam. If I took the water in this glass and poured it in another glass, would the same water in this glass be in the, be in the other glass? So the same life, the same spirit that was in God, he poured into Adam. We came forth from God. So men, see if this will help you when we talk about being the bride of Christ. Being the bride of Christ just means being made one once again with the one you came forth from. We just, we've been made one with the one we came forth. We came forth from him. Why, why does it, why, why, it's the enemy, I know why, it's, it's, it's the lying, deceiving, confusion, confusing, blinding enemy that, that does this and doubt and unbelief and, and fear and timidity and religious spirits and all this other stuff. But, but basically what it boils down to is why is it so hard for us to, to consider ourselves to be made one with God through the new birth and, 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 and the blood covenant, right? When we came forth from God in the first place. Before there was a man, there was, just, there was just God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit who then created man. Never in the history of anything ever, that's a big way of saying it, right? Has life ever just spontaneously erupted? Life comes from life. Life comes from life. And the life that we were created originally to have within us, it came from God as a source. But remember... It was interrupted by sin. Sin interrupted it. Sin broke the fellowship. Sin separated us from God. But God didn't say, well, there we go. So much for that. No. Now here's the, here's the difference. You've heard me say this before. Here's the difference. When Lucifer rebelled against God, fell from heaven, took a third of the angels with him, we have no record of God ever even asking him if he wanted to work it out and come back. 
But when those created in the image and likeness of God to be one with God, when we fail, He sent prophets to us. He sent angels to us. And then ultimately, He sent His Son to us to become our sin and to die for us with no guarantee that any one of us would ever look His way a second time. Why? Why? Well, he just wanted somebody to serve him. He wanted somebody to cater to his every need. He wanted somebody to boss around. He wanted somebody. See, again, this is, this is what we think. A man doesn't take a bride just so he'll have somebody under his control, under his thumb. And heaven help the man who thinks that's what marriage is about. But, but notice now, that's what Satan tries to do. Have you figured out by now Satan's trying to pervert the image of marriage in our world today? And there's a lot of reasons for that, but the number one reason is because a healthy marriage between a man and a woman is supposed to represent what God desires to have with His people. He said of the Old Covenant, He said, the Old Covenant creates a relationship between me and my people like the one that a herdsman has with his cattle. There's no intimacy there. There's there's no uh, face-to-face communication there. There's no fellowship there. The way a cow knows what his herdsman wants to do, if the herdsman prompts him or prods him or yells at him or slaps him or whatever, God said, I'm going to have me a covenant one day that will provide the same type of union uh, that, between me and my people that a husband has with his wife. And that's what Jesus did for us. It's fellowship. All right, let me finish here. Let me finish here, okay? I'm right-handed. Watch this now. I'm right-handed. Thank God he created me with two hands. You don't have two hands. God has two hands. I don't know if God's right-handed or left-handed. You've got to believe he's what they call it, ambidextrous. God switch hitter, right? He can hit home runs right or left-handed. Okay. But I'm right-handed, so that means my right hand is my dominant hand. Now, on my dominant hand, I have five fingers. They're all members of one body. But now we've gone from one part of my body to a the right hand, which is the dominant part of my body. And I, I don't know about you, but just kind of meditating on this, I've concluded that the thumb is the dominant finger on my dominant hand. Are you with me? Now, I don't, I don't say this. I'm, I'm thankful for all ten of my fingers because remember, I've made cabinets for a lot of years. And, and amen confessed over me and all the people that work for me. Amen. There's not going to be any accidents on them saws and all these other things. And God protected us and I give Him glory for that. And to me that's no small thing. And I'm not trying to be funny about that. Okay. But the, the one finger on your hand that you, there's the last one you would want to lose would be your thumb. Are you hearing me? Yes. Okay. So what, where are we going with this? Watch this now. So that means the dominant finger on my dominant hand Does he lord over the other four fingers on this hand? Does he look down upon the other four fingers on this hand? Does he like maniacally think that he is the ruler of them and that they are underlings and treat them like they're second class or second right? Of course not. Let me tell you what my thumb thinks about my middle finger. Partner. Couldn't do it without you, buddy. Hey, Mr. Ringfinger, we're all in this together. Little pinky, where would we be when we needed that extra grip without you? Are you seeing this, right? 
Now, is there a dominant one? Yes. Yes. Now, I'm, don't gasp. Just hear me, okay? Prepositions mean something, right? Is my index finger equal to my thumb? Equal to my thumb? No, it's not. It's not equal to it. But watch this. It's equal with it. Do you see what it just did with my thumb? Working together with my thumb. Co-laboring together with my thumb. The Bible says the disciples went forth proclaiming the word. What? And Jesus working with them. Is he dominant? Is Jesus dominant? Yes. Is he the most important member of the body? Yes, he's the head of the body. But does he look at you as an underling? Does he lord over you? If he lords over you, then he's violating his own teaching because he said it's the Gentiles who get a little bit of authority and lord over everybody and and boss them and make them submit and bow and, and, and he sees them as benefactors. You know what a benefactor is? You know what a leader who, who looks at the people he's over as benefactors? You know what that means? He says that he sees them as those who exist for his benefit. Now, Jesus taught against this and set an example for us just the opposite to this. And he hasn't changed. Hey, Pastor Mark, are you, have you gone too far? I haven't gone far enough yet. You, you remember when the Lord gave us the, the visual of taking a roller and rolling a wall? And then because we got so much accomplished, we just go to the next room and start rolling walls in there, but never come back and cut it in. He kind of added to some of that here recently in, in some of my notes and some of the things that just learning from him and him teaching me and showing me things, right? He said that, uh, that, that a lot of the cutting in that needs to be done involves prepositions. Prepositions. And he took me back to the difference between Learning about, learning from, learning of. And so here we are. Boy, you talk about, we cutting in right here. Who's the thumb in this example? Jesus is the thumb. He's the dominant one. He's the most important one. Are you equal to him? No. Are you equal with him? Yes. Yes, you are. No, 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 no. Called in this. How many scriptures you want? Same love. Same kingdom. Stand with me. I could go for hours and hours and hours. Thank you, Jesus. I got it. There's a question in here that it's deeper down in my notes, but I, amen. Let me, let me get there. I want to ask you this question, okay? Amen. I remember it, but I want to get it exactly the way the Lord worded it. Here we go. <clears throat> he wanted me to ask you this. He, he wanted me to ask myself this and you this and all of us this, okay? Are you mature enough? To acknowledge your oneness with God. 
This is out of Philippians, uh, I'm sorry, Philippians, Philemon chapter 1, verse 6, only one chapter. He said that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you. Every good thing which is in you. Can I tell you one of the goodest things in you? Is your spirit and God's spirit has been joined together as one spirit. You've been made one with God. Now, the challenge here is he's wanting you and me to acknowledge our righteousness, acknowledge our freedom, acknowledge our prosperity, acknowledge uh, the blessing that, that we now have upon us. All these are good things that are, that are in us, but so many people in the body of Christ have all these good things in them, but they never acknowledge them. They don't, some, sometimes we don't acknowledge it because we don't know. Other times we don't acknowledge because we're not mature enough or we're afraid or... You know, what are people going to think and all that stuff? See, again, you've got to get over that. So go back to the question and I'll pray. Are you mature enough to acknowledge your oneness with God? Amen. Father, we thank you for this time together this evening. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives. We thank you for the things that you're helping us see and understand and connect with. Father, for those that are still scratching their head about the last equal to, equal with, Lord, I just remind them what you said to us in the book of 1 John, as Jesus is, so are we in this world. Father, help us, help us step up into these things. Help us, Lord, begin to acknowledge the oneness. (laughs) Father, that you said you would never leave us nor forsake us, that you would be with us always, even to the very end of the way here on this earth. Father, that you got us, that you love us, you're for us. So many of the things that, that we're troubled about and worried about, Lord, are not even issues with you any longer because Jesus obliterated them. He annihilated them. He removed them and buried them once and for all. Why did he do it, Father? To satisfy the desire in your heart to have fellowship with us the same kind of fellowship that you have always enjoyed with Jesus. That's why you treat us like our sin never happened. Because you don't want our sin to ever interrupt the fellowship that you long to have with us ever again. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Just in your own prayer time this week and tonight in the morning, whatever, Keep um, Pastor Cornelius and, and the team over there in Kenya in your hearts and, and in your prayers. Speak life over them. If the Lord gives you any words for them, I'll be happy to pass those along. Of course, he's on Facebook. I don't recommend you allowing your children to see it, but there's if you go to Pastor Cornelius Onyango's uh, Facebook page, there's, there's photographs of the wreck there. I'm not trying to tell you that because it's some kind of morbid curiosity, but... It, you'll see that it was the hand of God that anybody survived uh, that vehicle. I don't know the details yet. I, I didn't want to try to get into all that with him. It's not important. What's important is just healing and recovery and restoration uh, for them. And, um, but I just declare everything the enemy has stolen will be restored. Amen in Jesus' name. I didn't, I didn't tell you this part. And I don't want to infuriate you, but this is almost infuriating. When he's laying there with his youngest child hurt, his youth pastor 
unconscious, his music director dead, people came into the wreckage of that car and stole their sound system and equipment and all that that they were going to do the crusade with. So it's like, you know, you just, amen. But it's all coming back, amen. The car, every bit of it's coming back in Jesus' name. You in agreement with me? Amen. All right. Know that you're loved. Thank you for being here. We'll see you Sunday. If not before, good things coming.